0: what is up welcome back this is football life presents the audible i am your host randy hammond alongside my co-host matt bushnell for our super bowl 55 recap special super bowl 55 in the books and it was a snooze fest not nearly as good of a game we would all hope but nonetheless a football season is in the books uh we have what i think is a great show planned for you we're going to recap everything that there was to know about super bowl 55 and the bucks dethroning the Chiefs and one of the bigger upsets in Super Bowl history. Talk about what to do now. There's no football for seven months. We're going to discuss some important dates on the NFL calendar, uh, talk some news and NFL awards, and then we're going to have some fun. If you want to feel old and have some fun with us at the end of the show, we're going to talk about the NFL Hall of Fame class of 2021. But first, Matt Bushnell, how's it going, man?
1: Oh, Randy, I can tell you right now we're steadily in the 70s here, so I'm only freezing at night now. You know, I, I heard there's a little bit of a polar vortex around the northern region, some snow on you know, the east coast. I'm, I'm sure you're still digging out a little bit, but I, I am trudging through a cloudy day. It's not easy for any of us, and we're all in it together, Randy.
0: You, you poor thing. You know, you know, the days just get better. They get a little bit longer. The sun stays out a little bit longer each day. So just, just fight through it. Uh, brighter days are ahead. The spring. You know, the pucks Tony Phil saw a shadow. Only six more weeks of winter. You can do this, my friend. I believe in you. Um, it, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I work in news. For those who don't know, and I work with a meteorologist every day on my morning show, and I'm working on a story with her about <laughs> northeast winters and if they're worse when Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl. Well. Now we got seven different instances to look at here, and uh, I have a theory that this winter is going to be longer than what it should have been because this jerk had to win another Super Bowl. So uh, I'm going to look at all the years in the past, the 2018, the 2016, the 2014, and then all the other years to see how bad the winter was because – I remember the one year specifically in 2015 he won against the Seahawks and every single Tuesday it felt like we got three feet of snow. So uh, we're going to look into that a little bit more and I'll have more. I kind of want to report that to the group actually, when I look into that, because there's plenty of resources for me to do that with, but you know, that's, that's it there. Tom Brady bringing home ring number seven with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his first ring, not in the New England Patriots. Um, We're going to talk a lot about Tom Brady. I'm sure of it because he's a big part of this, but, Overall, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to nine. This game wasn't even particularly close. And this was a huge upset. If you listen to the show on Friday, you know, all of us were in on the Chiefs, Uh, despite my best efforts to try to give the Bucs credit and to, to say they were talented and to say that they could compete in this game. Nobody was having it and I didn't even pick them. So maybe we should have taken them a little bit more seriously. Um, I guess if you look at all the reasons for this outcome, you point to the first one is probably the Chiefs offensive line. They're not without Eric Fisher. They're without Mitchell Schwartz and the Bucs were able to get pressure up front without blitzing. Matt Bushnell, you watch all of the game tape here, um, just from my eyeballs, and I watched some of the game tape as well. That, it looks like to me, is the recipe for success, and that's what the Giants did against the Patriots, and that is what you know. That is the best way to beat a quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes when you can drop back in coverage and still pressure him with your front without blitzing. Um, you know That's what the Bucs did all game, right?
1: Yeah, you saw a lot of cover two with them. They mixed in some cover three. We did talk about if they went single high safety, On the Chiefs, they would have gotten killed. They didn't go single high safety on the Chiefs. Just drop back. They picked their zones. It really limited the crossing routes. Devin White and um, Levante David played unbelievably well in this game. Um, Devin White is every bit as fast as his combine time reports. But really the defensive line. And I, I made a comment that I have to walk back. And I said it didn't matter with Patrick Mahomes, if you had three missing offensive linemen that were starters, I was wrong. I yeah, was wrong. We were as, all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Just I, you, man. <laughs> I know, as, as good as Mahomes is, and I think it really encompasses, and, and you know, I don't want to put a neat little bow on the tape, but there's just so many instances of where you see the Chiefs, the snap goes right back to Mahomes and boom, he's got guys on him instantaneously. If you watch the tape, you would find a new appreciation for how good Patrick Mahomes is. Like, the way he played this game, the stats are not great, and they are what they are, but when you have receivers drop balls that are extremely catchable, Tyreek Hill had two that bounced right off his face mask, and you have literally no time to sit back. It's literally, I got to throw the ball immediately. They just didn't have a chance. JPP played a big role in this game. Sue was able to get pressure. Vita Veya, he really... This is where I thought the Chiefs could have ran the ball a little bit more here, Randy, but Vita Veya got some pressure, but he wasn't moving as well. He was more clogging up a blocker or two. So, and Shaq Barrett, you know, what can you say about Shaq Barrett? He got back there instantaneously a lot of the times.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, look, the Bucs only came away with three sacks in this game, but that doesn't really do the amount of pressure they put Patrick Mahomes under any justice. Uh, there's a graphic going around that shows that Patrick Mahomes ran 497 yards total, uh, trying to run away from the pressure, trying to make something happen out of nothing. Uh, when you're playing cover two, a lot of guys are double-teamed. Patrick Mahomes running for his life back there, trying to make anything happen that could possibly happen. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say Patrick Holmes played amazing or anything, but he definitely gave it everything that he had. And that's really, you know, you watch the tape and you say, you know, this guy could have gone down so many more times. This guy could have just uh, thrown the ball away a few more times, but he he competed every single time out there. And, with, and I have a ton of respect for that. The other thing, so we're going to talk about the Bucs defense a bunch too. On top of the chiefs offensive line being banged up, I don't want to say that they, they didn't show up because they are backups guys who were on the waiver wire in week seven, a lot of guys that weren't there the all season. The Chiefs' weapons didn't show up. The stat sheet is kind to the Chiefs' weapons. Uh, you know, you're going to see Clyde edwards Lair had 9 for 64. Travis Kelsey had 10 for 133. Ty- Tyree Kill had 7 for 73. They did not play as well as their stat sheets are indicating that they played. Uh, Tyree Kill had a ball go right through his hands and doink right off of the face mask in the first quarter. That could have been a touchdown. There was another play, and this is the play that you're probably talking about, I wish I had it queued up. Patrick Mahomes gets hit, and he's diving, and he's literally the same level with the ground and flings it about 25 yards in the air, and it bounces right off the guy's head helmet again right at the goal line. Um, the, his receivers, when they, they when he needed it the most, really did, did not do a great job. And Travis Kelsey – 10 for 133, great stat line, man. 15 targets. All of those, I would be shocked if the rest of those targets that he didn't catch were not drops. Uh, He really had a tough game, I thought, too. And, uh, and, uh, Matt, we talked about this pre-show. I think part of this is this team that comes in here who won the year before and has that confidence in them. They've only lost one game all season that mattered. And they come in and they're, they're supposed to win. You know, all the pressure's on them. Uh, at the end of the day, no one really thought that they were going to lose this game. Uh, I mean, I'm sure some people did, but for the most part, everyone thought they were going to win. Uh, and, and maybe that was in their head. You know, maybe they couldn't handle that kind of pressure. And the Bucks came in besides Brady and Gronk. No one ever won anything. And I mean, JPP, too, won one with the Giants. But overall, all of the pressure was on the Chiefs and a lot of the people that you would rely on them to step up absolutely did not step up and the Bucks took advantage of it and we had said from the, the, the Packers game with the Bucks, if if the Bucks make those mistakes the Chiefs are going to take advantage well they didn't and uh, I think that was a big reason why you can't overlook the mental aspect of this and I think the Chiefs were like it got in their head a little bit
1: yeah I th- there's a lot to it and um, Henry was very fortuitous when he first Commented in our wonderful group that's watching, I have a dolly back here, Randy. And like all the shit that we talk is gonna go on this dolly because we can't just carry it out. We have to wheel all the shit out because we talked so much shit, and that's exactly what the chiefs thought. They're like, Man, we're gonna go in here, we're gonna roll these guys, and they're not gonna be able to hang with us. There's a theory, man. It's just like uh Mike Tyson said it, everyone's tough until they get punched in the face. Yep. The Chiefs got punched in the face, and Tony Romo. And I know we shit on Tony Romo a lot, but throughout this, I don't think doing, it was a
0: great game for Tony. I'm just I, gonna say that.
1: I thought he did fine. He called it out though. He said this game feels different. Like Mahomes, they came back from you know 24 against the Texans. Yeah, you know, last year it was just a trail of comebacks, especially against the 49ers when they were down by 11. Mahomes just didn't have the offensive line, and I want to give enough credit to the Buccaneers. I thought Tampa came out with an excellent game plan. They said, if you want to beat us on the ground, beat us on the ground, we will rush four. We're not going to let Mahomes and his wide receivers get open shots You know, for the big plays. So you look at this, and then offensively, It worked out really well with Buccaneers game plan. It was like they they tried that stupid reverse toss with Scotty Miller that Chris Jones, and I will say this about Chris Jones, Chris Jones dominated his position, but a lot of those other defensive players, we'll talk about the flags, defensive holding, ticky tacky. We can get into that and I'm sure we will, but to me, you, you can't have dumb penalties. Chris Jones, I thought played a good game but you can't be the second guy to hit that guy and then give them a first down that was so critically at a critical juncture of the game. And so stupid because I'm pretty sure at that point, you know, you get them to punt, but yeah. Leonard Fournette, I don't know what the hell happened to him in the playoffs, but he came alive. He looked like the number four overall pick. Ronald Jones had an extra gear. That offensive line's really good. Tristan worths is a man among boys. That dude allowed one sack all year in seven hundred and ninety nine pass attempts.
0: Insane. Yep, it was the fourth of uh, four offensive tackles taken. By the way,
1: <laughs> yeah, which I, we talked about in our draft show. I thought Tristan Wirfs was the best offensive lineman in there, and I had yeah. uh, Makai Beckton second. Yeah. I mean, th- this is the point where you watch the tape. You watch these guys, and friggin' Wirfs has a nasty attitude. Like yep. this kid came into the draft with a nasty, nasty attitude. You pair that with Jensen, their center, who is, he's dirty, but he's not like um, cheap dirty. He, he'll play to the whistle. He'll get you aggravated. So
0: he's yapping the whole time. He's the kind of guy who aggravates you the whole game.
1: Absolutely. And, and you got to have those guys on the offensive line. It's so important. So the, yep. then, let's get to Brady and the weapons, you know, Antonio Brown, I will say this about AB. He never ceases to amaze me with his route running. His route running is so crisp. It's always right on the spot. Like, if it's, a, if it's a 15 yard comeback, boom, he's hitting that 15 yards and like a hard, hard comeback. And it looks so much better than anyone else. Gronk looks like he found some rejuvenation in Tampa. And then we go back to Tom Brady where everyone wants to praise Tom Brady and I'm not going to take anything away from Tom. You know, I thought Tom played well enough to win this game, but I also want to say, let's not kid ourselves here. (laughs) That defense shut that game down. They didn't give the chiefs an ounce of breathing room. And as soon as the Bucs start scoring points, you just felt the air leave the chiefs offense.
0: Yeah. Uh, I thought the MVP award for Brady was a little questionable, but at the same time, he's twenty-one of twenty-nine, two hundred yards, three touchdowns. Uh, if you are looking at another MVP, you can't give it to a whole defensive unit because if the Giants' defensive unit didn't get it in Super Bowl Forty Two, no defensive line, especially, deserves to get it over that. Uh, so you set that precedent there. But you know, Leonard Fournette had sixteen carries for eighty-nine yards and a touchdown. Also had four catches, forty-six yards. I thought Gronk, you could have made the case for Gronk. uh, Six for 67, two touchdowns. He really set the tone early on. And this is the thing about this game, and this is what makes these guys – I mean, Gronk retired from the Patriots. He obviously didn't want to play with Bill Belichick anymore. When Brady left, it opened up this whole new door. He said, I always wanted to play with Tom Brady. He's the only guy I ever wanted to play with. When there were rumors from New England that they were going to trade Gronk to Detroit, he said, I'll retire. I'm not going to Detroit. I'll retire. I mean, maybe that's part of it's Detroit, but he always wanted to play with Tom Brady. And he he is considered, you know, if not the greatest tight end ever, one of the greatest tight ends ever. And Brady's a big reason why Brady knows this guy. They know each other so well, uh, you know, 12 plus 87 equals 99 problems for the defense. I, all that stuff was great. Love it. Uh, but you can, you can debate the MVP award, but I don't think it's, the, it's super controversial that they gave it to Tom Brady. But here's the thing about those two. They set the tone. They came out in that first quarter. Brady never scored a first quarter, uh, first quarter touchdown in the Super Bowl ever. He's been a nine of them to this point. And this year they came out and they said, all right, Chiefs, you're the unstoppable offense. Here you go. And him and Gronk uh, cap it off with the touchdown in the end zone. And I was like, this, this feels different. Like Romo said, it just felt different. Those two guys set the tone for what was to come. And I know the defense gets a ton of credit, but I also think that offense coming out and establishing themselves on that first drive meant a lot too.
1: Yeah, and I want to give credit. Like Manuel Hernandez in our comment section makes a great point. In the playoffs and Super Bowls, the game plans change. Absolutely, game plans yep. constantly change, specifically to your opponent. How the Bears used the fridge? I mean, one of my favorite Super Bowls of all time. I am a Bears fan, and watching the fridge plowing for a touchdown—it's always so fantastic. It's God. It's it's going on almost forty years since the Bears have been in the Super Bowl. Ugh. God, I'm having PTSD. But anyway, <laughs> I, you know, here's the thing: as much bouquets we want to throw at Tom Brady, let, let's look at this. Tom Brady's last two Super Bowls, his defense hasn't allowed a touchdown. I yeah, mean,
0: only twelve points total.
1: Twelve points, total. and we can argue Jared Goff for the Rams, and that, that very well may be valid. So, yeah. but he played against Patrick Mahomes. You, you win who you go against. You know, you shouldn't apologize for beating three backup offensive linemen. So, I, I think really you take a look at this. Eric Fisher tearing his Achilles was absolutely one of, of you know, it, it was a costly blow. You know, you're glad you made the Super Bowl, but losing Eric Fisher was monumental. Yeah. I thought Andy Reid, you could definitely make a case for questionable play calling. They ran an option to the short side of the field. And I'm like, w- why? W- why do you do stuff like this? It just doesn't make sense. Hand the ball off if you're going to hand the ball off. No one would expect Patrick Mahomes to take the ball on an option after what we saw in Cleveland. That that, that would just be stupidity times two. So Spagnola got outcoached. And yep. really what we saw with Breland and the other <coughs> cornerbacks they're very grabby. They, they will grab on, they'll hold, they'll try to hang on for dear life to prevent the wide receivers. I didn't realize the speed disparity from those wide receivers at Tampa versus the cornerbacks for Kansas City. I, I thought the refs did a poor job because at some yeah, point... Yeah, but I don't
0: think it changed the game. You know, I, I think they did a bad job, but I don't think it changes the outcome.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I I, th- I think it changed how they played though randy and and i think think that that matters matters. yeah So, so all playoffs they've been grabby all playoffs and i i know game plans change and you have to be adaptable but when you're a defensive player and you've been allowed to do something of all of these games that you've been doing and then all of a sudden you get to the biggest game of the year and they start throwing that flag I mean, it's hard for you to adjust on the fly in a game where you're expecting to get away with the same things. Now, that's not an excuse, but the NFL has to get their shit together. We talked about it during the game. When the NFL needs to say, if you're going to throw this flag, you need to throw all year. Don't wait till the last game of the year to start getting flag happy. Either swallow the flag or throw it from week one to the Super Bowl if you're not going to do it if you're not going to do it week one don't do it in the biggest game of the year that's my only gripe the personal foul penalties absolutely you know you you know the rules so to me I agree with you it shouldn't it it didn't change the outcome I feel the the outcome was always going to be this outcome maybe not as many points by the bucks but that defense shut them down
0: there were two calls in particular that really bothered me, and it was the ones that were uncatchable. Um, I think the one to Evans in the end zone on Matthew, the call of pass interference was kind of brutal because the ball hit the back wall uh, where the stands are. <laughs> um, the ball wasn't going to be caught if he didn't do that. I understand. You want to call holding or something, that's fine. But to give him a PI and give him a first down and right at the goal line is was a little much for me. I think you have to consider where the ball was landing there. Uh, yeah, I don't think the refs did a good job and uh, I I don't necessarily think it changes the game, but you're right. I mean, when you're an aggressive team and they haven't been calling it all playoffs, it's the same reason that uh, Packers fans were angry that they called the pass interference at the end of the game when they hadn't been calling it the whole playoffs and that whole game. So uh, some inconsistencies there for sure. And uh, all we can do is hope that the refs get better. And I hate being the guy who blames the officiating because I just think there's so many other plays you can control in a game that the officiating doesn't dictate the outcomes of So, not a great job by the officials, I think, for sure. But if I'm a Chiefs fan, you got to look at the the, the the construct of the game and say the officials were not why we lost this one. Yeah. I want to address a question from Corey Richmond uh, in the comment section. It was an interesting question. He goes, how do you think the Browns or Bills would have done against Tampa Bay if they played in the Super Bowl this past Sunday? Look, I, I mean, I don't think you could have got a better opponent for the Bucs than the Chiefs. Uh, I know that they were down a couple linemen, but I think the Chiefs pose the biggest threat to any team. Uh, and – i i think the bills would have gotten smoked probably by even more their defense uh is not as good as tampa as kansas city's i don't think and i don't think i think josh allen would have done a lot of the same things mahomes did but maybe it made a little bit more mistakes uh their offensive line also probably would have struggled and they don't have the weapons uh, that tampa ha- uh, that the chiefs have and the browns i think the browns might have been interesting because they probably would have ran the ball and you know, they would have presented a whole other issue for tampa but uh who knows what would happen if the Browns? I think the Browns actually would have been a solid game uh, because of that aspect of it, and I think their defense it had potential to step up. Uh, Matt, what do you think about those two teams against the Bucks?
1: Yeah, I. I mean, we talk about the Bucks' strength of their defense was stopping the run, and the Browns' strength is running the football. I it would have been an interesting matchup, to say the least. I don't think the Browns. Um, I don't know. Baker Mayfield still a, lot, a big question mark there. They definitely wouldn't have been playing cover two versus the Browns. I can tell you that they probably would have won a lot of single high safety blitzed. I, I, I have a feeling Tampa would have handled Cleveland easier. Um, uh, Bowl is a weird game and it would have been Cleveland's first time there. It, that, that would have been hard to see Tampa losing that game. Buffalo is a little more challenging because I think if you take away Stephon Diggs, it really hurts Josh Allen. And we saw the impact and, you know, you called it Antoine Winfield Jr. Coming back was a huge yep. addition and they, they've been able to roll double coverage over on Stephon Diggs with Winfield and probably Davis, I imagine. And then it would have been a struggle for Josh Allen as well. So I, I think, like you said, this was the best matchup, Randy. We got the best matchup. The biggest thing is if the Chiefs had Eric Fisher and Schwartz, it's probably a much different game we're talking about. So, you know, we just can't take that for granted here because you give Mahomes time. It's a different type of game, it's a different process. They get to run deeper. Kelsey gets to find a spot in the zone. You know, Sammy Watkins, you know, can blow off the coverage. There's so many different things here, but it was the best opponent.
0: Yeah, I still would have thought you know Packers Chiefs would have been nice too, but uh, ultimately we didn't get that. I'm not mad at the the matchup uh, per se. Uh, before I'm going to wrap a bow on this because I, I generally think the Super Bowl by halftime was pretty boring. Uh, I thought the weekend told an interesting story with this thing. I don't think people are really that deep with their viewing habits though. I think uh, he did okay, but it could have been better. Um, look, I want to give a lot of credit to Todd Bowles. I think that he came up with a the perfect defensive plan to beat the Chiefs and Steve Spagnolo has a job to this day because of what he did with the Giants in the Super Bowl 42 and Todd Bowles will probably do the same. He obviously flamed out with the Jets, but I think he is going to get a job again in the future because uh, the Bucks are talented on defense for sure, but you need the right game plan to perform that, and I think he came up with the great, with the perfect one. And uh, Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for the Bucks, uh, Brady credits him for a lot of things. I think that is a huge endorsement. Adam Gase continues to get jobs because of the Peyton Manning endorsement, so I don't see why Byron Leftwich would not. So. I look at this coaching staff and credit to Bruce Arians for assembling a, such a diverse, unique coaching staff uh, from, from, you know, black people who uh, who don't have the right representation in the league and and women and all these other things. Uh, Bruce Arians, uh, leader of that pack, but I also think he did the right thing and has created such a deep and, and diverse coaching staff to get them to this point. So credit to Bruce Arians, congrats to Bruce Arians, weird guy, older guy, finally getting a ring as a head coach. And uh, I wanted to ask you about Andy Reid because we, just chalked up the chiefs as this dynasty thought they were going to win five in a row. I don't necessarily think the chiefs are going to take a step back. I actually think they probably are going to be even better uh, next year. Um, But this loss kind of hurts a little bit. I think, you know, when you, when you're thinking Mahomes as the goat, which we, I think we were projecting it hurts him just a little bit, I think.
1: It's a legacy herder uh, for no doubt, Uh, unless they can get back to the super bowl against Brady next year and beat Brady. I think that will help heal this wound. But if he never gets to face Brady again, this is kind of going to be one of those things that hangs over his head a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, you won seven or six or how many ever Super Bowls, but you you didn't beat Tom Brady in the playoffs. So that one, you know, it definitely could hurt him quite a bit. My feeling on the chiefs and where they go from here, the, they're going to have some cap relief. They can get rid of Sammy Watkins. They can get rid of Eric Fisher. Orlando Brown is rumored in trades. He wants to go back and play left tackle. That's an upgrade for the chiefs at left tackle again, Orlando Brown, Jr. Alan Robinson of the Chicago bears has said that he wants, you know, basically he's ring chasing now. Yeah. You know, he just eliminated the giants and the jets. Yeah. But, um, they, hey, when
0: you played with Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky in your career, you're going to want to play with someone who's a lot better than those guys. So
1: Yeah, so, you know, the rumors started flying a little bit that Allen Robinson has told some people he wants to go play for Kansas City. So, you know, wow. dump Sammy Watkins, add Allen Robinson. I think that's a little bit of an upgrade. So, I you, so. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's it, the rich get richer in this league. I think the Chiefs and Bucks are definitely going to get better. You know, but both these teams have draft ammunition now. I, I don't think the Bucks. – I'm pretty sure the Bucks have all their draft picks. I'm pretty sure the Chiefs have all their draft picks. We know the cap's going sure. down by – you know, going down about 182000000 million-ish. So it's going yeah. down about $15 million. But these teams are still going to be okay. That They'll figure out who to keep and who to get rid of. But long term, Mahomes is 25 now. He's got a long time in this league. We're seeing Brady play till 44, 45, 46. Aaron Rodgers has stated that he wants to play until he's 43 or 44. Drew Brees yeah. has played until he was 42. So Mahomes should get more cracks at the apple here, is what I'm saying. So,
0: for sure. I am not worried about the chiefs at all. The bucks, uh, for at least one more year, will be in the thick of it. Um, Brady already said he wants to run it back. So I expect the bucks to be right back in the end, uh, next year as well. And look, the chiefs, I think are going to go all offensive line in the draft. I think they realized they do not have the depth without Schwartz and Fisher, uh, to, to step up in that instance. Um, Look, I don't mind the pick of Clyde edwards helaire when you're a team contending. You could pick a running back in the first round, but they might look back and regret not taking an offensive lineman here and there, especially when you don't use the, the running game as much as you should. So uh, I think they're going to try to right that ship this year in the draft, which we have all offseason to talk about the draft, Matt Bushnell, and that leads us to our next conversation. What the hell do we do now? For the last six months, we've been uh, football has helped make our life feel a little just a little bit more normal, and we're so grateful for that. But now we do not have football again for seven months hashtag sad face i don't want it to be a thing but it's here so what are some things that we need to know the new league year which is when the calendar flips on the nfl and they start their 2021 season where transactions can start to begin trades and signings that starts on march 17th uh, which i believe is st patrick's day so we have over a month until the new league year begins obviously trades will happen in the meantime but they can't be official until then the other important date, which is sooner, well, not sooner than that, but it's kind of soon still on the horizon is the NFL draft. The NFL draft uh, we did mega specials on last year. And we talked so much about uh, it is this year, late April is always Thursday, April 29th through Saturday, May 1st, which I'm always so excited for the draft. I love the NFL draft. It's such a large event that takes up the entire weekend. Matt, you're a football junkie, much like I'm a football junkie. What are you going to do for the next seven months?
1: Oh, I'm going to fix some teams, Randy. I'm going to take a look at some game <laughs> tape. I'm, I'm going to submit my plans to 32 NFL teams and let them know how they can fix their team. But I, I mean, honestly, um, the combine's coming up shortly. I mean, it, it's going to come up pretty quick. Trevor Lawrence is going to be thrown for teams, I believe, on February 12th. So that's going to be exciting. And then he's going to have off-season shoulder surgery. So um non-throwing shoulders, so don't worry, Jacksonville Jaguar fans. <laughs> so that th- that will be fun to watch. I think
0: he can throw for as many teams as he wants, he's still going to the Jags.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah. Know, m- maybe the Jags trade out. Doubtful, but maybe. Yeah. And-, and then honestly, let- let's take a look. You know, college football is gonna be interesting. There is going to be some spring football for college yeah. teams. Some
0: so FCS teams.
1: Yeah, it's going to be different with that. So, you know, watch that. Um, we do know, it won't be this season, but The Rock and his, wa- or his ex-wife, um, Danny Garcia, I believe, bought the XFL. Yeah, and We'll probably be hearing more news about when that's going to be re- redistributed to us in the masses. I thought that would have been interesting. It would have been a nice off-season distraction. But, you know, Randy, for, for me, it's a little different. For about five years, you know, I had the Bears and when they were bad I'd look forward to the draft and when they were good you know and the double doink and then two (laughs) consecutive seasons at eight and eight but 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 then something happened the White Sox got really good out of nowhere out of nowhere but we're gonna go with the White Sox for my benefit but I am going to keep my primary focus on football I got college drafts to look at Free agency, where are guys going to go, Randy? I mean, the, the league could make monumental shifts with a couple of players, a couple of trades. What happens with Deshaun Watson? Where does Carson Wentz go? Are the 49ers going to say no to Tom Brady again like they did in 2020? Ooh. A story broken by Mike Florio, Randy said Tom Brady's agent contacted the 49ers last offseason and specifically said tom wants to play in san francisco how can we make this happen yes. john lynch said we are not interested we are going with jimmy garoppolo <laughs> so i'm sure we're going to get more fun stories like this because we have quarterbacks available does drew breeze retire where's Jameis winston go we yeah. have endless storylines
0: Yes, uh, we're going to talk about some of those here in just a second. Uh, your White Sox and my Yankees appear to be uh, on a collision course here for the American League, which I'm excited for. Uh, you know, it's been a while since the Yankees have been pennant. I'm hoping 2021 is the year, but you never know. Anything can happen in baseball. should be a good one for that, too. But always, football remains on our brains. We will still be here each and every week with you guys talking football. I don't know if we're going to take a week, but we're going <laughs> to come back and talks of football, this show is far from over, Matt. We saw much more to talk about, including some news about the quarterback who played in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is going to have surgery on his turf toe, which uh, people think turf toe, oh, it's just your toe, but uh, I've never had turf toe, but everyone I've heard talk about having turf toe, it sounds like it's a bitch, so... It makes Patrick Mahomes did feel like a little bit more, a little bit more impressive. But the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes expect to be fully recovered in time for training camp, uh, preseason, and the regular season. So it doesn't feel like much of a big news. But the best quarterback in the NFL having toe surgery.
1: Yeah, um, it needs to get fixed. Obviously, it didn't get better on its own. And sometimes turf toe gets really bad. I think the severity of it is known. I mean, typically you don't hear about guys getting surgery on turf toe. But with Mahomes, it was really bad. They have to go in there and they have to fix it. So, you know, much more credit to Mahomes playing on a toe that probably really affected his ability to maneuver around the pocket. So that will get fixed.
0: Yes, and uh, in other quarterback news, two players have been in the news uh, as of late in their team's effort to maybe trade them. And Carson Wentz being at the top of the list and your Chicago Bears are in the news.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Uh,
0: The rumored trade with Nick Foles and Tariq Cohen and a first-round pick, that's not going to happen, it appears like. Uh, and it appears like the Eagles are losing leverage, whether it is the Colts or anyone. I mean, this Wentz contract is not an easy thing to trade. Uh, you know, do you even want Wentz on the Bears? I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but, I mean, where do you see Wentz ending up when all this is done with?
1: Ultimately, I think it's either the Bears or the Colts. Um, I, I think that part's pretty – The foundation's there, but then I go back and I take a look at what transpired, Randy, and I think that's important. There's rumors now circulating that Howie Roseman actually had these rumors leaked out because it was all Philadelphia reporters releasing this news. Yeah. And to me, that's how you kill a trade with a team. Now, Ryan Pace and Chris Ballard may be like, all right, you know, First of all, those two guys are very private. They don't make these moves known, especially Ryan Pace. He makes a lot of dumb picks, but he tries to keep it as quiet as possible. So now we see what they did with Mitch Trubisky and how quiet that was. I I just, to me, I think Carson Wentz probably moves to the Indianapolis Colts. I think the Bears are going to move off of it. They don't really like dealing with people that do that. So maybe the 49ers end up with Carson Wentz because I know they were rumored to be in it. So it's going to be Bears, Colts, or 49ers. And just depends on which one of those three wants to give up the draft capital. But it was really a shitty way to go about it. My personal feelings on Carson Wentz, I mean, two years, $47 million is what you would be left with as a team if you acquired him. To, to me if you give up a second round pick or a third round pick give up nick Foles, you give up you know maybe a guy like anthony miller i'm okay with it tariq cohen i don't want to give up i definitely don't want to give up a first round pick so to me i'm not a huge fan of the deal if it includes a one yeah
0: I just I'm not in love with the Carson Wentz prospect any longer. So if it's if Frank Reich really thinks uh, he can fix Carson Wentz and go back to that magic of 2017, then then Colts seem like it's the the one fit for him. But I don't really know. The other quarterback in the news was that the report came out yesterday, or even earlier this morning, that. Multiple teams have called the Jets about quarterback Sam Darnold, and I think that we have figured Darnold was out the door with the Jets because they didn't give him an extension. They brought in a new head coach and all new staff. Uh, The 49ers among one of those teams rumored to have called about Sam Darnold. I don't know. Sam Darnold, probably an interesting prospect for many. I don't know what the price tag would be for a guy like that, and he kind of feels like a reclamation project at this point. I don't really know what I'd be willing to give up. I don't know. Darnold, where where do you see Darnold ending up here?
1: 49ers make a lot of sense but to me it's just too risky unless Jimmy G's you're really getting rid of Jimmy G but then you're left with a bigger question mark at quarterback the 49ers need to contend I mean this is their window right now they they have some guys on cheap rookie deals once Nick Bosa gets into that fourth year you really got to start thinking about extension and I just I don't see them trading for sam darnold unless they have some information they saw something i I think sam darnold's three years away at least from being a competent nfl starter and to undo all that damage that happened in new york and there's still a lot of flaws with sam's game you know i eliminate any coach that's on the hot seat first of all let's just do that the bears no way the bears get them um you know to, to me I'd probably say Sam's best shot is Indianapolis if they don't get Wentz. But after that, I mean, it's a crapshoot, Randy. Maybe New Orleans. Um, yeah. Maybe. Maybe, maybe Dallas. You Carolina know,
0: seems like they're interested in moving to a new QB, but I don't think he's enough great on Teddy Bridgewater. No. Nope. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then the comments are going nuts right now because another quarterback rumor happened this morning and it's Russell Wilson seems like he is unhappy with the Seattle Seahawks. I don't think Russell Wilson is going to get traded. I think that's asinine, but he did say he wants a larger part in the organization's roster construction. And I don't think that's shocking considering the Seahawks have been so poor uh, in their roster building the last few years. I mean, obviously they've made the playoffs, but haven't been able to go very far. What do you make Russell Russell Wilson and he's not getting traded, right?
1: No, I mean, it goes back to my theory on Deshaun Watson what's the value you get from trading your franchise quarterback? You know, we've never seen a trade, let alone Deshaun Watson. Now we're talking Russell Wilson, like who's got a pedigree, a Super Bowl championship. (coughs) Uh, To to me, it's just, you you know, you're fishing at that point. Someone threw out a possible trade rumor. He's not happy. Seattle's going to make it right. Russell Wilson will be a Seattle Seahawk until they decide that they don't want him to be their quarterback anymore.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, One more note on Darnold before we move on. Uh, I could see him being thrown into a Deshaun Watson-type trade as the quarterback in return for Houston just to get a guy. Also, our friendly uh, Tompkins points out Washington uh, football team needs a QB, so I can see Darnold as a landing spot for them. Uh, All right, moving on now to some sad news. Now, former NFL coach Marty Schottenheimer, uh, his top 10 all-time in wins, has died at the age of 77. He had uh, Alzheimer's since 2014. The longtime coach, obviously, uh, is the eighth winningest coach in NFL history, two, going 200-126-1 with 21 seasons with the Browns, Chiefs, Washington, and Chargers. Uh, most of that time precedes me, but I remember his time with the Chargers and Drew Brees and Philip Rivers and LaDania Tomlinson and Antonio Gates. I remember those Chargers teams very well. Uh, his son, Brian Schreinheimer, just in the league last year as the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, 77 years old is, is, is you know, it's a long life, but ultimately, you know, uh, it's still sad the way he left and the, the last few years of his life seemed like they were a struggle. So Matt, how are you remember Marty Schottenheimer?
1: To me, M- Marty Schottenheimer is one of the greatest coaches that I ever had the privilege of being able to watch. He gets a lot of, uh, he got a lot of grief for not having playoff success, but let's face it, when you look at these Teams and who they go against and who they play. I mean, he had Peyton Manning he had to go against. He had Tom Brady he had to go against. I mean, we're talking about some really quality football teams that knew how to win. And then Ben Roethlisberger came into the league. And then we take a look at Marty's Cleveland days. I mean, he had Bernie Kosar, but he made a lot out of nothing with these teams. Kansas City, he had an older Joe Montana, and you know he. Revolutionary, really, when it comes to that Kansas City defense with Derek Thomas. Kind um, I'm forgetting the defensive end. Oh, it's gonna kill me. But you know, Marty was a good human being. He was a better human than he was a coach, and that's saying a hell of a lot. Marty cared about his players. I've never heard a player talk ill of Marty. He, he lived football. Family man, football, God. You know, that, that's literally like the epitome. Family football god or God family football, however you want to put it in that order. But Marty was such I I don't want to say a pioneer, but such such a good human. You know, that's that's what I keep on going back to with Marty. Some of the big games, some of the biggest moments. I really wish he was one of the one of the coaches. I wish that could have got a Super Bowl victory. It would have meant a lot, not only for him, but for his family and for his legacy because To have that many wins and not to have that capstone on your career, by no means is it John Shula-esque because Don Shula won a lot, lot more games, but it would have felt like Marty would have been up there with the legends for coaching. And that's always kind of where I feel Marty should be. He's a guy that should be with the legends, and it's just sad that we lost him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always go back to when something so terrible as Alzheimer's is affecting someone like that. I always like to say that they're not suffering any longer, and it's hard to accept that. But at the end of the day, that their, their quality of life probably wasn't that great in the last few years. So uh, I like to tell myself that, you know, he's in a better place. Uh, obviously, he never made the Super Bowl as a player or a coach. Um, but some impressive things on his resume to me include 44-27 and 27 with the Browns from 1984 to 1988. Uh, obviously, he lost. So the, the Broncos and the drives of John Elway and then Cleveland from, uh, or and then Kansas city from 90, uh, from 89 to 98, where he went 101 and 58 and one. I mean, those are two, Historically, loser franchises that he had incredible success with, and then the Chargers. He was he had a really nice run with the Chargers, and in his last season, they went 14 and 2. The Daniel Tomlinson won the MVP, and they ran into the New England Patriots, who god knows they had signs or whatever, you know. Unfortunately, he ran into that situation. I believe that was the same game that Philip Rivers is playing on a torn ACL. And they still took the pads to twenty four to twenty one. I mean, that's a hell of a, a season and he ended up getting fired by Dean Spanos after that, but It's crazy that that was 14 years ago, 2007, that feels like just like yesterday, uh, which is crazy. But uh, Schottenheimer, unfortunately, five and 13 in the postseason, which I don't think defines his legacy by any means. I think he's a guy who had immense success with teams that historically did not have success. And I think that is, you know, a huge compliment to when you're a head coach, where you go into situations that set you up for failure and somehow you find ways to succeed. So uh, rest in peace, Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, you will be missed by the football world. And I just want to point out quickly, and I didn't put this in the rundown, but if, if you're familiar with NFL media, if you listen to or watch the Around the NFL podcast on NFL Network or on NFL podcasts, Chris Wessling uh, is a guy I've listened to for the last five years and was such a nice guy, such a well-known football writer, such so smart in the way he articulated things. He lost his battle with a of cancer on Friday at the age of 46, and he had just been married and just had a kid. So, That made me sad to see that. And, you know, my thoughts and prayers got to his family and everyone over there who's hurt by that. So if you haven't ever heard of Chris Wessling, look him up. Uh, Really a great guy who made a huge impact in the NFL world. All right, Matt, it's hard to transition from something so sad to something so meaningless. Uh, But we're going to try to do that on this show, which uh, every Saturday before the Super Bowl, the NFL gives out awards. Um, We predicted all these awards, so I might as well run through them with you and just to see who won. Um to no surprise, the National Football League MVP went to Aaron Rodgers, his third MVP of his career. Offensive player of the year, uh, I said it was going to be Derek Henry. I was correct. The Titans running back won offensive player of the year, snubbing Josh Allen. Uh, defensive player of the year. And this one was controversial. It's kind of unreal that this is controversial, but Aaron Donald wins defensive player of the year. I believe it's his third defensive player of the year, which is automatic Hall of Fame lock territory for me because he joins J.J. Watt. And Lawrence Taylor is the only other player with three defensive player of the year awards. The reason this was controversial is because T.J. Watt uh, reacted to the news on Twitter with a Michael Jordan uh, meme from the last dance from last year where he says, And I took that personally (laughs) and (laughs) that's all he said. But then um, JJ went on Twitter, his brother uh, and defended TJ said, you know, he has better numbers than than Donald across the board, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's true. I thought TJ had a really good case that he should have won defense player of the year. But when you, there's just one thing that Aaron Donald does that that no other player in the NFL does. He draws double teams on 75% of snaps and he still gets just as much pressure as T.J. Watt. And it makes you think if he didn't get double themed as much as T.J. Watt, what would his numbers look like? They would be out of this world, ultimately. Uh, I know that you're a guy who loves Aaron Donald. I don't know how you couldn't be if you love football. You think T.J. Watt had a legitimate case here, or are you fine with Aaron Donald winning it?
1: A legitimate case, maybe. But it should go, I mean, realistically, it should go to Aaron Donald as long as he keeps on putting up these advanced type of numbers. You can't make this stuff up. He's double teamed more than I think twice more than anybody else in the NFL. He's triple teamed more than anybody in the NFL. He affects every single play. He affects your run scheme. He affects your pass scheme to to me. You know, I I get JJ jumping in for his little brother, but this is my issue with the Watts it's, you know, grandstanding self-promotion type of deal (laughs) and it it, it never escapes jj to get his name out there he always finds a way (laughs) so that's the part that bugs me about this so all right tj you know that's fine come out motivated next year put up break the sack record you know do more but aaron donald changes an entire game plan an entire offense TJ, they just worry about you on one side of the football, Like, right? right. Okay. Let him loop around. We don't have to, you know, look for him every play. And he had Bud Dupree. Aaron Donald just... had fucking Leonard Floyd. I mean, yeah. Leonard Floyd, the Bears <laughs> reject. Yeah. So to me, it's not close. I, you know, I, I would have given it to Aaron Donald too. This is kind of where TJ Watt just needs to understand. He's still young. Just sit down and shut up at this point. Come back next year, put up better numbers, be motivated. You know, you yep. don't you don't tug on Superman's cape and you don't spit in the wind. And right now, Aaron Donald's Superman, so stop tugging on the man's cape.
0: And look, if all that happened was Aaron Donald wins defense player of the year, and then TJ says, and I took that personally. Good. Take that personally, use that as motivation, come back next year and be even better. And then who knows, you might win defensive player of the year. But then JJ has to come in and say, I'm gonna say what my brother won't say and like we all know the numbers jj it's not we understand why you know tj is upset about this but ultimately Aaron, like it's Aaron donald it's not like they gave it to some random person like it's literally the most dominant force in the nfl today and a first ballot hall of famer like i, I understand like this is a chance for you to improve your resume in the league maybe get paid a little bit more money down the road but it's Aaron donald i, I don't know I, I just i guess maybe we have a little bit different of perspective here all right we're gonna talk about some, Go
1: ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just J.J. being an asshole and J.J. being J.J. Oh, look at me. I'm J.J. Watt. Fuck you. Yeah, well, he's not going to be a Texan
0: next year. They might, they might be teammates next year. Who knows? We'll have a lot of offseason to talk about that. <laughs> uh, offensive rookie of the year moving on now, uh, Justin Herbert, quarterback of the chargers. I think it was between him or Justin Jefferson. So not a total surprise there that the quarterback gets the award. No, I, I definitely didn't think that was a surprise and defensive rookie of the year, uh, Chase Young. I don't think there's anyone even close to being in contention. This man is an absolute beast. Uh, could be a, a figure quite like Aaron Donald in the future in the NFL and comeback player of the year, uh, the Alex Smith award given to the man himself, Alex, Smith, no doubt about it, absolutely the comeback player of the year. Got every vote besides one. Do you know who the other vote was given to, Matt Bushnell?
1: Oh, geez. I, honestly, I don't have – Nick Foles? I don't know.
0: Ben Roethlisberger got one vote. Oh, for
1: fuck's sakes.
0: <laughs> well, he missed every game in 2019 besides one. So, uh, I mean, it makes kind of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, he didn't always die, but, you know, I guess it's comeback-wise.
1: Hey, well, let me guess a Pittsburgh writer voted for him.
0: Uh, probably. <laughs> uh, all right. Coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski of the Cleveland Browns. I definitely think that's well-deserved and something we both expected.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all these fall right in line. Herbert, Young, Smith, Stefanski makes sense to me.
0: Yep. Uh, Walter Payton, Man of the year, just kind of given to like a guy everyone considers to be a great person. And it is this year. It is a great guy. If you ask me, Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seahawks, uh, obviously great guy Walter Payton seemed like a great guy I love, I love the word being named after him
1: yeah yeah I mean Walter Payton uh, re- read the book on him and it'll definitely change some opinions of him but really Walter may have suffered from CTE more so but to Russell Wilson Mr. Unlimited
0: <laughs> Unlimited um,
1: yeah good good for him I, I don't think anybody questions Russell's intentions I, I do think he's a good decent person but man he is weird
0: yeah weird guy definitely weird guy uh, a couple more of these quick uh, assistant coach of the year uh, Bill's offensive coordinator Brian Dable uh, I think that's well deserved and with the way he turned around Josh Allen I think that's uh, definitely a good call clutch performance play of the year the Hail Mary Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins that is definitely the play of the season without a doubt Uh, And just to give a little uh, bone to Josh Allen and his fans on our podcast here, Josh Allen won the fantasy football player of the year. Congratulations, Josh Allen. You are the best fake quarterback out there. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) You know, that might be the best description of him that I've ever heard. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway.
0: All right, well, if you're still sticking with us, congratulations. You are about to feel old because it made me feel old when the class was announced and now it is official. The class of 2021 the NFL Hall of Fame has been announced. Uh, These men are now going to be enshrined into Canton for all of eternity, and I love watching the videos of David Baker going to their houses, knocking on their door. He's a gigantic human, and he makes these football players look small, uh, and I just love that he – cares so much the way he presents it to them. Just It means so much. Uh, yeah, I love that. So the first name on the list, and it is to no surprise to anyone, Matt Bushnell, let's just go through the names here and just talk about how great they were because, honestly, you're an NFL Hall of Famer. Obviously, you were pretty damn amazing. Peyton Manning, I think you may have heard of him, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, all-time top three and all-time passing yards, touchdowns, uh, At multiple-time MVP winner, uh, changed the sport forever, uh, you know, the pride of the Manning family, uh, Peyton Manning, probably the, the head of the class here, the leader of the table, uh, Peyton Manning, not a shock at all.
1: No, the smartest football player I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, basically made the Audible famous, even though it was around before him. But his ability, to, his pre-snap ability to read a football field is by far the greatest gift any football player's ever had in the NFL. No one was better at something than what Peyton Manning was at pre snap reads. It was unreal.
0: Yeah. Uh, he, I think the anticipation throws, too, I always thought with him were so advanced. And um, you know, you see a lot of guys kind of wait to see when someone gets open to throw the ball. He would throw you open. He would, you know, he knew the route, he knew the the, the def- defense, he knew what you where you were gonna go. And as soon as you turned your head, the ball'd be there. He was so good at the anticipation. I think better than anyone I've ever seen. Uh, He's the number one overall pick in 1998. I don't really need to go through all of his resumes here, but he you know, has 55 touchdown passes in 2013. He has 200 wins. He's got 71,940 passing yards, 539 pa- t- passing touchdowns, over 6,000 completions, all these other things. I mean, the guy uh, was unbelievable. He is a football legend in, uh, with every definition of that, that phrase. Uh, next on the list, I, I, put one guy over the other and now CBS has the other one, but I'm going to go Calvin Johnson, first ballot hall of famer from the Detroit lions. He's one of two guys I think of with the Detroit lions that, you know, was unbelievable. The best player at their position, uh, and dominated the sport at their position, Barry Sanders being the other one that retired early and just said, I don't need this anymore. Uh, and walked away from the Detroit lions. And I'm sorry, Leon Tompkins, but, uh, <laughs> Leon, uh, Calvin Johnson is, uh, it, it, as far as prime goes, because I didn't get to watch prime Jerry Rice. I, I did get to watch prime Randy Moss, but I'd still say Calvin Johnson is the best receiver in his prime that I've ever seen. Uh, I definitely the most physically dominant. That's for sure.
1: Oh boy. D- don't make me do this, Randy. I'm, I'm not touching the Jerry <laughs> Rice one.
0: Um, well, look, I know you saw Jerry Rice, so that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying he's better than Jerry Rice, but as far as what I saw in my life, Calvin Johnson was the man.
1: Yeah. I mean, Calvin Johnson to be that big, that fast, and to do all the things that he did, that's why you make the Hall of Fame when you only played, you know, a certain amount of years. Calvin Johnson was incredible. We talk about it. The only person I've ever seen catch a touchdown pass in quadruple coverage. The, yeah. the, the only receiver that you triple teamed almost on a regular basis. He always had to be double teamed. I To me – This is where I think we get into a little bit of murky territory. Jerry Rice was a different wide receiver than Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, I'm going to say it right here, is the best big-bodied wide receiver that ever played football. No one was better than Megatron at catching a jump ball, outrunning coverage, just everything combined. Um, We talk about, I got a comp for you right here. Randy Moss, or let's say Jerry Rice is Michael Jordan, okay? And let's yep. say Megatron is LeBron James, if we're going to make a basketball reference. Megatron may not have been as graceful and as pretty, but, man, he would just physically dominate and impose himself onto you like LeBron James. You're
0: not going to make Henry happy with that comp because uh, com, he thinks LeBron's the GOAT, so.
1: <laughs> you know, that that's fine. I mean, that's that's absolutely fine, Henry. Get all mad, but Jerry's MJ. Megatron is LeBron. Deal with it.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, he was the second overall pick in 2007. He played nine seasons. Uh, he didn't have a single playoff win to his resume, which is a shame, but he had 11,619 receiving yards and 83 touchdowns in nine seasons. That, are, that is just ridiculous. Uh, he had a single season record for receiving yards, 1964 in 2012. He was a first three, uh, three-time first-team All-Pro And he just had an all-time 2012 season. If you haven't got the chance to go look at it, just watch the highlights from that year. Uh, Just unbelievable uh, nine-year run for Calvin Johnson. Obviously, that's so much so that they decided to put him in the Hall of Fame first ballot. A lot of these guys usually take longer to get in, but Calvin Johnson was just that damn good. All right. Number three, Charles Woodson, Matt Bushnell. I think obviously these are the three guys that are going to lead this class for all of eternity here. Uh, But the guy spent 20 years in the NFL and won a a Super Bowl or two. It was, I won the Heisman. uh, Between the Raiders and Packers, this man is definitely a legend.
1: The best defensive college and pro football player that ever lived. He changed so many things. Uh, really, we talk about Deion Sanders as being one of those first shutdown, like the first ever shutdown corner. And that's not entirely accurate, but you know, we can talk about Dick night train lane and all those other guys from the sixties and seventies, but really uh, Charles Woodson, his college career at Michigan was impressive to begin with. I mean, you just didn't throw to him. If you did, he intercepted it. That as simple as that. I remember one game, I think it was against Northwestern. He literally had one foot on the sideline and intercepted the ball while standing on that tiptoe. The other leg was up in the air, and he caught the ball with one hand. It was the best interception I ever saw in my entire life. Now in college, at that time, he only needed one foot down, so yeah. he he intercepted it. So then you take a look at his Raiders career, and his seemingly he got better when he was with the Packers too, and they moved him to the safety, and. You know, as a Bears fan, I hated Charles Woodson because one comment will always sting me. And he was just like, well, we know Jay Cutler is going to throw the ball to us. We just have to catch it. (laughs) It It's like, fuck you, Charles.
0: He wasn't wrong. He (laughs) wasn't
1: wrong. (laughs) He wasn't wrong. So I, I, I love Charles Woodson. I have a deep affinity for him. He played at Michigan. You know, obviously he played for my hated rival, the Green Bay Packers. But man, what an awesome football player. And I will say this. He was my favorite David Baker video. I just see the emotion and how much it meant to him. Like it just felt the world to him. My second favorite we'll get to, but.
0: I love that. Uh, Yeah, Peyton seemed like it was kind of expected. And Calvin, I like Calvin's too. Calvin seemed like it meant a lot to him too. So uh, we're going to talk about some more David Baker videos, obviously. But I want to touch a little bit more on Charles Woodson. He won defensive rookie of the year. He was a three-time first-team All-Pro, nine-time Pro Pro Bowler, defensive player of the year in 2009. He won a Super Bowl with the Packers in 2010 uh he appeared in the super bowl with oakland in 2002 when they lost to the bucks uh in his entire career he had 65 inter- interceptions which was fifth all time 13 defensive touchdowns which is the most all time for a defensive back uh, he's one of three players in the history of the league with 25 picks with two different franchises uh, so charles wilson congratulations on getting to canton the next name on the list uh cowboys wide receiver drew pearson Matt, this guy uh precedes me in my time period here so i'm going to give you the floor Talk. Little
1: bit about Drew Pearson. Really, one of the first big time wide receivers. I mean, before the catch with Dwight Clark, there was Drew Pearson catching big game footballs, big game touchdown passes. Drew Pearson was an awesome wide receiver. You know, obviously, he played with the Cowboys, Roger Staubach, America's team. So just watching those highlights. Obviously, I caught the tail end of Drew Pearson's career but what a hell of a football player he was so good at what he did and i think a lot of these older wide receivers don't get enough credit because they played in an era where basically it was running you know you just run the football run the football run the football and pass when you had to but drew pearson was transcendent he would have he would have been a big time wide receiver in today's era he was so good at what he did And that was my second favorite David Baker video. (laughs) Just, it meant so much to him and it carried so much weight for him. It was just like, I got to breathe a sigh of relief because he deserved to be in there. You don't have a hall of fame without Drew Pearson.
0: Yep, he was a senior finalist, obviously. He was on the all-decade team in the 70s. It took way too long to get this guy into the Hall of Fame. Uh, just under his resume Erasmus, 11 seasons with the Cowboys in the 70s. He went from undrafted free agent to a three-time All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, uh, and a Super Bowl XII champion. He caught four hundred and eighty-nine passes for seven thousand eight hundred twenty-two yards, for fourth most in Cowboys history. Both of those, and he had forty-eight touchdowns in one hundred and fifty-six career games. I mean, this is in the seventies where they didn't throw the ball nearly as much as they did now. Uh, those are hell, like those are uh, insane numbers for the seventies, considering you know they didn't throw the ball a ton. Like obviously Staubach helps, but he probably helps Staubach too more than people realize. So,
1: and you also had Tony Tony Dorsett in the backfield. So
0: yeah, yeah. So long time coming for Drew Pearson, the next player on the list. And this – I have a feeling well, – which one did I write on the rundown here first? Let me just go down. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the, the current general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, a former Bucks and Broncos safety, John Lynch. Uh, don't, look, I remember John Lynch quite a bit. He was one of the best safeties that I watched when I was younger. He was a big part of that Bucks defense in 2002 who won that Super Bowl and shot down the Raiders. I mean, he was – all over the field. I think he was more of a box safety than a cover guy, but nonetheless, he still um, got the job done and, and was a hard hitter. I remember him blowing up guys on the regular. Uh, this was his ninth year of his eligibility. Um, and obviously, like I said, he's currently the GM of the 49ers. Matt, what do you remember about John Lynch? I
1: mean, it goes back to a very to a dead breed of safeties, Randy. Th- these safeties don't exist anymore. And we're yep. talking about the Steve Atwaters, the John Lynch, the Ronnie Lotts, the guys that would separate body from ball. I mean, that, that, that's what they did. And John Lynch would bring the wood. You come across the middle, you, you had to think twice. N- now these tight ends feel a little more comfortable. Now the wide receivers, well, right, let's run that crossing route. Yeah it was a different game of football but john lynch was every bit as dominant in his era as any other safety was during their era so to me a long time coming Uh, you know he should have been in a few times i thought i i honestly i thought john lynch was the first ballot hall of famer I, i just always felt that way about him he was that good so glad to see that he finally got in
0: yeah, he's a legendary figure of that, that Bucks defense to me that I, I kind of think he was I was surprised to know that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. So I definitely think he, he should have he been in by now, and it's about time he's been in. Uh, just as resume quick, he's a third-round pick in 1993. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro. Uh, he, he was a safety that recorded multiple interceptions in nine consecutive seasons for Tampa Bay, he finished with 26 career picks, 13 sacks, and 16 forced fumbles. Uh, he had stepped away from football in 2007 to go into broadcasting and obviously is now the GM of the Niners and was the GM for that 2019 team that made the super bowl just last year so congrats to john lynch uh one of the better safeties i can remember in my lifetime and was a part of a whole era like you said of safeties too that already had gotten in like ed reed i always think of and and troy palomalu were guys that were better safeties probably than him but those guys there were so many good safeties in that early 2000s era and it's good to see another one uh get enshrined all right. I have a feeling this might be your favorite uh, David Baker video, because I think it was one of mine, but, uh, Alan Fanica. And, um, I just want to get it right here. We're going to want to get this messed up, messed up, but uh, offensive lineman for, you know, so many years, the, with the Steelers and was named to the all 2000s decade team his first round pick in the 98 draft. He spent 10 years for the Steelers and then, uh, won the Super Bowl with them. Look, I, 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 Offensive linemen are hard to judge with stats and everything, but their impact is typically felt uh, amongst their peers. Uh, and Alex Vanica finally getting the call here. I'm trying to find uh, six years of eligibility, and he finally gets the call to Canton, met.
1: Yeah, one of the best guards that ever played the game of football. I mean, guards are yeah. really hard to measure. Uh, I've seen a lot of good ones. Uh, Steve Wisniewski was one guard that I loved watching play. Uh, when you have these guys, you know, you have them like how we saw Quentin Nelson. I know a lot of people may not think that he's a Hall of Famer yet, but when you saw Quentin Nelson dominate at Notre Dame, you just knew that he had a Alan Fanica the same way. I mean, really a fantastic football player. Sometimes players find their perfect spot, like where they were just meant to play and Alan Fanica was meant to play in Pittsburgh. I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. When you talk about a man that could run block and pass block as a guard, which wasn't necessary, but he was better at pass blocking than almost every other guard. And then you throw on top that he was better at run blocking than almost every other offensive guard as well. I mean, he was dominant. He was a dominant man in his prime and it's nice to see him get in. And yes, it was a very touching moment. I'm a sucker for guys who cry when they get enshrined into the hall of fame. It just to see how much it means to a person. And that's what relays to me is like, The game means so much and the memories I have from it and then seeing these guys and knowing that they have the same, not the same memories, but the same feelings about those memories. It just really touches my soul
0: look, I played high school football for three years and I still have some of the best friends I'll ever have in my life from, from doing that. And that's just a short sample size of a lifetime. Uh, I can't even imagine what a guy like this has gone through and how many people he's been involved with and how many lives he's touched. And, uh, I'm I'm happy for him and just saw how happy it made him too. I guess the best, uh, you know thing you could point to for offensive linemen is that every time you know he had such great running games behind him Jerome Bettis and Willie Parker uh had th- several thousand yard seasons with him at, you know as part of their offensive line and then when he went to the Jets in 2008-2009 Thomas Jones had uh, his two last two seasons he had a thousand yards each each year and in the 2010 he obviously uh, called it a career in Arizona but I mean the running games of the teams that he was blocking for were so good and there's no mistake that he led those things and and it was a big reason why they had so much success. So there's no, you know, how many pancakes he had in his career. I mean, that, that number is probably not possible to find, but uh, the impact you can see in the success of the offense for sure. All right, moving on to two guys that I got to admit, Matt, I'm not too familiar with, but I'm going to let you have the floor uh, with these guys here. Uh, Bill Nunn, which uh, is another Steeler uh, who is going to be inducted to the Hall of Fame this year. And he's uh Remember of the 1970s Steelers dynasty. Uh, you know, he was also a senior uh, finalist here, I believe, or maybe he was, a, a, a. I forgot what, how exactly he got in, but regardless, Bill Nunn, um, what do you know about Bill Nunn here?
1: Not a whole lot to be honest with you. He's probably one of the lesser known guys on that uh, Steeler team or um, really a struggle for me because I, the, the main things I remember from those Steeler teams mean Joe green, Jack, I'm sorry, Jack Lamb, not Jack Lambert, but you know guys like that, and um, Mike Webster, Bradshaw, of course, Franco Harris, Lynn Swan, uh, God, Lance, Alt, John Stallworth, so those type of guys. I just don't know a lot about Bill Nunn, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, probably the name that I'm least familiar with on this list. So. You know, regardless, uh, Bill Nunn, congratulations on your call to Canton, but I'm going to move on because i got something else really to say. Um, and the final name on the list is Tom Flores. He was one of four coaches who have won two Super Bowls and not be inducted to the Hall of Fame until now. Uh, he was hired by the Oakland, the then Oakland Raiders in 1979, and then he led them to a 91 at 56 record and two Super Bowl titles in 1980 and 1983. Matt, I imagine you know a little bit more about uh, Tom Flores.
1: Yeah, I believe he was right after you know the boom bang guy, John Madden. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, really good coach, underrated. Doesn't get talked about a lot about in NFL history. But you, t- uh, uh, you talk about guys finding their spots in life, and you know Flores, Tom Flores, perfect spot in Oakland for him. He had that kind of personality, that demeanor. You know, the black hole. And just that Raiders defense with Howie Long and just so many really good players, so no, I mean he's deserving of it. You know, and I think anytime you win multiple Super Bowls as a coach, it says a lot about you. Hell, one is hard enough, but yeah. we see like a guy like Tom Coughlin get validated with two Super Bowl wins. He he yeah. might have been a fringe uh, guy to get in the Hall of Fame, but now he's got two Super Bowls. He's in. That's all there is to it. So Tom Flores. Well, okay,
0: and I don't want to be this guy, but every time Tom Brady wins another one, it makes those guys' cases a hell of a lot better. <laughs> we're on those Giants teams, uh, but we're not talking about that right now. Uh, just another note on Tom Flores, he was the first minority head coach to win a Super Bowl. Like I said, he won two, and one in 1980 and one in 1983. And this little note is just for our friend Felipe Melisio in the comments. Tom Flores is currently 83 years old uh (laughs) all right well we talked a lot on the show this is not the most exciting super bowl recap show ever i was kind of disappointed in the game itself but overall i have a great time every super bowl sunday watching the game and and being with some people and and enjoying myself and uh the last full day without a diet so the two days into the diet i already hate myself but we're here Uh, matt bushel before we say goodbye to the people can you tell us about the other podcasts under our life group umbrella
1: yeah, it's kind of crazy, but basketball season's still going on. So for for me, it's kind of been a blur with football moving so fast now. Uh, basketball's been moving fast, but Ant- or Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses host a step back, covering everything basketball related. Then on Thursday, we have the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast, another great podcast with Corey Richmond and Jason Brooks. Love those guys. And then on Sunday, we have the Total Basis podcast with Felipe Melisio and Sean Flannery. They do some interesting stuff on that podcast. And coming up, they have Build a Lineup. And I can't wait to hear some of those lineups that they come up with. It's really entertaining. If you love stats and um, more of the high-end analytic talk, Felipe and Sean do a fantastic job. Uh, Dong City is usually on mondays but bear with us here they are taking the 15th off if you watched the episode last week or this past yesterday actually and they'll be back on february 22nd and that will start their process of going weekly right now they've been going every two weeks so february 22nd is their next show and then it'll go march 1st and then every week after that they're doing a bracket challenge so baseball life Get your baseball movies in there. It's like a March Madness bracket challenge for movies, so a fun one to do for baseball life. And then uh, Tuesday, so programming note for us: Randy and I have worked extremely hard all year. Randy, let's give ourselves a pat on the back. Ah, we, we made it, Randy. We made it. It's it's been a long and arduous journey, but we went through the entire season. We are taking next week off. We, we need it. Spend some time with the families, hang out. But don't worry, Football Life, we will be back and we'll be better than ever. Not quite like Eric Bischoff, but we will be back better than ever <laughs> on February 23rd, is when we return. February 23rd, catch Football Life Presents the Audible. We have a lot of interesting stuff coming up. Don't miss it. And that's what's on deck.
0: Yeah. Uh, Felipe wants me to inform everyone that Jacob, Anthony, Moses will be joining them on total basis. So that's good. You're going to want to check that out. Uh, Jacob hung out with us the entire show on our Super Bowl preview. He was a blast to hang out with and talk football with Uh shout out to all the guys joining us, Henry, Vince, uh, Leon, Jacob, you know, we had so many guys on at once that it could have been a disaster at any given time. And I thought it went pretty well. So thank you guys for being a part of the show. Thank you guys for always listening and, and and commenting and interacting with us. We really appreciate it, but Like Matt said, I'm going to go kick my feet up a little bit because we did did two shows a week for a long time. The season's been crazy. If you told us before the season started that they would have made it through each and every week without much of a hiccup here, we would not have believed you. So congrats to the NFL. Congrats to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You did it. Hey, Matt, I don't know about you, but you helped me get through the year a little bit here with the show and with football. It's been a pleasure, my friend.
1: Randy, absolutely. I couldn't have asked for a better partner, a better co-host, a better friend to do this journey with me. And I look forward to many more years of doing this podcast. Let's get to episode 100 and then let's pop the champagne, baby.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll start getting paid for this stuff here soon, Henry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> thank you guys for all the support all season long. It has been so much fun to do this, talk football with you. There's so many more important things about life and the world, but uh, ultimately it's life is what you make of it. And, you know, I appreciate uh, getting to talk about some sports with you guys and, and football helps uh, me get by every single day too. So uh, this has been a hell of a season. Uh, I'm so glad it, it happened and uh, we were able to talk each every week. So. Uh, you know, pitchers and catchers report coming up soon. Be sure to be over in baseball life for an exciting baseball season that's going to be coming up here. Always watch Total Bases and Dong City; those guys all do a great job. And the NBA season is in full swing. Uh, yeah, The All Star break coming up, but then you know it's quest for another back to back title for LeBron and the Lakers. So you know. Go Lakers, do it again for Bean. Uh, But I'm rambling at this point now, Matt. I don't know how to wrap up this season, but I'm just going to say how I always say it. Wherever you are listening, however you are listening, thank you guys for always making us a part of your day and a part of your week. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Take care.